be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And correction. Hello, everybody. It's moi, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, otherwise known as Crates, Cradleina, Catilon. Poop water. Poop water, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week when it's humanly possible, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, Caitlin. Now, Caitlin, I had no idea what I wanted to talk about today, but you brought up something that is very close to my heart and I think a great topic. Why don't you talk about your Polaroids? Everyone... (laughs) It's a huge moment for me because I now have nearly 300 beautiful Polaroids yeah. out of this out of this year. As we're recording it, it's December of 2021. We're wrapping up the year. And I went through every single one of them and just appreciated all the wonderful things that we have in our life because yeah. they've been captured on, on Polaroid film. And you really got into it. It was just this past year, right? Yeah, it was... And you really got into it. Oh. You know, you, like, went full force into this interest. Yeah, and I hassled Polaroid into <laughs> yeah, being part of it. Yep. We met some amazing Polaroid photographers. I know it's so crazy because I feel like I remember you just starting your Polaroid habit, and um, yeah. then you told me how many approved, like, go- like money shots that you have, yeah. and it was close to three hundred, which means mm. the ones that you didn't turn out or you didn't yeah. like as much, yeah. you thought it'd be like close to like six hundred, seven hundred. Oh maybe yeah, even maybe more. even a thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's um, crazy. That's the- a lot. Of, yeah, that's a lot of Polaroids. That's a lot of uh, money for film. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, multiply <laughs> that by two dollars each, and that is uh, wild. And it's a lot of, like, where do you store all of them? Yeah, I just—they're all <laughs> in my closet. I keep every single one because I never know Crazy. which when my mind is gonna change and I'm gonna like one of the old ones. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, I love capturing those moments. One of my favorite moments that we got to capture was us seeing our husband, Claiborne, at Claiborne Elder at In Company. Company. On Broadway, yeah. Uh, just such such a wonderful thing. I love that picture. And very importantly, you meeting Binks the Rat. The uh, Oh, yeah. That's another good story we could tell about. We stepped out of a cab the other day, and there was a pink rat running around on the fence. Yeah. Belonged to some guy who, yeah. who was... Hanging him out to show him off and get some money for photos. And we went all into it. Yeah, we shook hands with the rat. We held him and everything. Pet him. And we want to clarify <laughs> to the thousands of people that DM'd us saying, what on earth are you doing? L- listen, it was a pet rat. Yeah, it's not we like we not- touched a street rat in yeah. New York, we don't we I I'm scared of those. Yeah, we are scared of those just like you. But pet rats are so cute. Especially when it's a pink rat, like I know. myself. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. 
Caitlin, I... Polaroids and rats. There you go. Sums you up. Oh, here we go. Polaroids <laughs> and rats. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Caitlin, enough about that. I want to dive right into our weekly interview. But first, I have a little treat for you. Everybody, every week we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about freedom for animals. Caitlin, you brought us this story. I did? Okay, I'm going to have to remember it as you tell me about this. Okay, so here's the good news. From dancing bears to dog fights to elephant rides, people have found so many ways to put animals to work for their entertainment. But a few places in the world have recognized that it's time to put an end to this. And now Portugal is one of them. That's right. By the end of 2024, Portugal will completely phase out the use of wild animals in circuses, a move that has been applauded by animal rights activists everywhere. According to the Associated Free Press, lions, tigers, elephants, camels, and zebras are among the more than a thousand animals banned under a new law covering around 40 different species. Wild animals have no place in the circus, says Bianca Santos, vice president of the AZP, a local animal rights group. People should be able to enjoy themselves without animals suffering, she says. And I think that's absolutely true. We have acrobats, clowns, high wire acts, Britney Spears' Instagram. There's no reason for us to take advantage of creatures that have no way to consent working for our entertainment. So it's no wonder that over a dozen countries, including half of Europe, have banned the use of animals in circus acts. And now, as for the animals currently working in Portugal's circus acts, they will be registered with the government so that they can eventually be placed in wildlife shelters in Portugal or overseas. As usual, I love our good news today because it's a triumph in itself, but I hope it means that animals will be protected in many other ways and in more places. For example, as time goes on, I'm not so sure we should be forcing animals to carry tourists around Central Park. You know, it just doesn't seem like the thing anymore. Yeah. And uh, this story makes me think of our past episodes on animal rights, like the Edgar's Mission Mm -hmm. episode. That episode was about a place where exploited or neglected animals could go and live in peace, and I hope that we have more of those as well. So thank you for the story, Caitlin. You know I love animals. We know you love animals. And I feel like they just work them so hard in these environments. They don't just work them for a little bit and then give them a nice treat. They Most of the time, they're like working them to the bone. Right. And I agree. Every time I see a horse in Central Park, I get upset for it. Yeah. And even like a cop on a horse in the in like Times Square where it's so busy and so dangerous, like cars are zooming, people are everywhere. Yeah. Like anything could happen. And it just makes me so upset. And I just feel like we have to treat our animal friends really well because they don't have a voice. They can't speak up. Yeah. You know? They, Absolutely. They just get forced into doing this stuff and they can't say anything. <laughs> I know. You're one of those people that watches like... Lord of the Rings and stuff like that and is worried about the horses that are being rode into battle. You're like, no, not that. Don't stab the horses. Oh, yeah, I do. Even though it's like fake. You know what I mean? Or like like, westerns. Yeah. Oh, the, and the movies where the dog, dogs die. I can't, I can't deal with it. Can't even. Yeah. Even though, I know it's a dog actor not dying. Right. But I'm very upset watching that. We had this moment in my family where my parents rented 
old yeller for me oh, to watch. No, no, what? No, no, no. I hate that movie. And then <laughs> the very next week, we watched <gasps> A Ring of Bright Water, which is a story about a guy who adopts an otter. Oh. And it's his like a best friend. He makes it like an aquarium for it and everything. And then he's taking a walk with the otter, and this like ditch digger stabs the otter, and then it's roll credits. Oh my god! Like right there, I was like, "What are my parents doing to me?" Oh, horrible movie! It's terrible. Oh, there's this movie that really still gets me today. My dog Skip. Wait, what's my dog Skip? It's just a wholesome movie about a boy and his dog. And but there's a scene where he gets the dog gets kicked by like a bully. Yeah. In the movie, and then that killed me. And then. At the end, he like goes off to college and Skip dies. And it's just a whole story about this boy growing up with this dog. It's supposed to be very wholesome and like about best buddies, but it destroyed me. I started crying in the theater and my parents had to like take me out. Of course. And I was like 10. Yeah. When this movie came out, and they were like, "Oh, our, our daughter likes dogs. Let's take her to this nice movie about a boy and a dog." Yeah, and I just, I never forgave them for taking me to that yeah. movie. They it are, tore yeah. me apart. I was like, "You can't just." And sometimes when I am feeling like I want a good cry, I'll watch Marley and Me. Anyway, uh, anyway, we got, <laughs> we got off topic. <laughs> anyway, we love animals. We so love this animals. This is great news. So this is great news, and we hope we hear <laughs> about more countries protecting their animals soon. But now it's time for us to take a little break. (laughs) Okay, we're back. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and review it. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews right at the end of the show. But now, Caitlin, it's time for the interview. Today we have a guest who has brought laughter and inspiration to people all over the world. Her name is Alona Marr. She's an Olympic athlete, a TikTok star, an all-round incredible person. Since high school, she's been leading athletic teams to victory in field hockey, basketball, and softball. But last year, she not only participated in the 2021 Summer Olympics, she gave the world a glimpse into Olympian life through her hilarious TikTok, which still has people captivated today, including people like me. So, Alona, welcome. Where are you? How are you? What are you doing? I'm good. I just got home to Vermont uh, from San Diego for Christmas break. So the weather is a little different, but I'm happy to be (laughs) home, just hanging out, going to eat some cinnamon rolls, get a little chubby. I'm excited. Oh, I'm very excited for that. I'm excited to do the same for me at time of recording. We're about to dive into the holiday season and I'm just going to uh, put my calorie counting app away and just let come what may, you know what I mean? So I wanted to ask you, especially in this time that we're in right now, as we're recording, COVID is sort of changing the landscape yet again. And I know what it's like for a drag queen like me, whose life depends on big crowds and gatherings. But as an athlete, what does it feel like for you to watch the world go in and out of lockdown, suffer from new variants, get glimpses of hope, and then go back? Does it drive you nuts like it drives me nuts? It definitely does. And the thing is, is we play a contact sport. So, and instead of like going to play like one team, like USA, England, we go to a tournament and we play, we could play up to like 10 teams in a tournament from all different countries. So 
we just got done with Turnman Dubai and we're supposed to go to Spain at the end of January. And I'm like, this damn variant, like finally we were getting things going and we were going to go to Spain, but I don't know if it'll happen because, you know, you have the team South Africa will come to Spain. It's like, they don't want some of these teams in there, but you want all these teams to come and play. So I've been seeing all these TikToks about like New York city right now. Do you live in New York city? Mm-hmm. Is every, does everyone have it? What's happening there? It's, so wild it feels like everyone does like if you scroll through instagram all of our friends are like oh i'm getting tested at the very least or oh i'm at home having chicken soup and it's it just took a couple of days for it all to happen and it's been it it makes me so nervous because like we plan on going to visit the uk and perhaps performing there and this trip that we've been planning for a year and a half, two years now is once again, like in, in jeopardy, we've postponed it how many times. So it's just like, it's wild to watch it happen, but I don't want to talk about that forever. Hopefully in 2022, we will see better times. Um, What I do want to talk about is your story because you have a pretty great story for our listeners. I want to dive into your past and press rewind a little bit. You were born in Vermont where you are right now. Tell me about your young self. What were you like when you were young growing up? Uh, A young Alona was, he was a big girl. I've always been big, always been a big woman. And, uh, but I've always been an athlete and, uh, my dad was like, the big thing with my dad was I want my girls to play sports. And he ha- put us in every sports in every season, just cause he saw the research on how good it was, uh, for them. And you know, one thing was like, raise us equally as the boys. He never like wanted us to tone it down and like, Oh, pitch it slower. So people could hit it. He always just wanted us to be the best we could be. And I think that's led me to be the athlete I was. I went to a small Catholic school, graduated in a class of nine, very socially awkward for a while there, I will say. Wow. That's eight people away from homeschooled. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally like I was raised with my brothers and sisters. So I went to a public high school and I was like, oh my, I still remember the first time I walked in the hallway with a boy. Cause I was like, okay, don't mess this up. Be But so I was raised a little bit socially awkward and I was always this big girl who was always very good at sports, but I didn't really fully know how to talk to people. Um, And I don't think it was until like college when I really started to get into my own skin and um, really started to feel like understand my body a little bit more. And what I think it was also rugby that helped me to understand my body. And I've just always been an athlete. And then I went to college, uh, did nursing in college and played rugby and just like found that, oh man, I'm good at this sport and just wanted to continue playing it for the USA team. So in high school, you were known as being outstanding for field hockey, basketball, softball, and lots of people I think at that age have dreams of being athletes, but of course not everyone uh, makes that part of their life. Was it in high school that you started realizing that you were on the path to something special or was it not until college that you really started realizing, oh, I have a skill here? Yeah. I think um, it's so wild because I feel like if you play any sport, you were like, maybe I could do the Olympics. That would be cool. And so I never played rugby in high school. So my aunt was always like, what if you do the Olympics for field hockey? What if you do it for uh, basketball? Because you always thought all oh, the Olympics are so cool. So um, I didn't really think about it in high school just because I came from Vermont. We don't have the best athletes in Vermont. We have some good athletes, but we're not known for our athletics here. So it never really crossed my mind. And then it wasn't until I tried out rugby my senior year spring of high school. And I was like, wait, I'm pretty good at this. Okay. And I got invited to a USA camp. And then I was like, you know, I think I want to pursue the rugby in college. So I made the late decision to go play rugby 
in college instead of field hockey. And it just kind of spiraled from there. And I kept getting much better at it like every year. And then it really wasn't until my senior year when I was like, wait, I think I want to focus on rugby. So I did get my nursing degree, haven't used it, just paid a lot of money to get a piece of paper. But um, I, you know, decided rugby is my thing and I pursued it and then made it my mission to get on the USA team. Now, what was it about nursing that made you want to pursue it in the first place? Why did you take that path to start? I like to think I'm a pretty caring person, but my mom's actually a nurse and I always wanted to do med school because I just wanted to I mean, make the big bucks, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I wanted to help people. But my mom, when I was applying to school, she's like, why don't you apply for nursing? Because you can immediately get a job after college instead of doing like bio and then having to go to med school. And so I was like, OK, I'll listen to you. You're pretty smart. So I did nursing and found out I actually really liked it. I liked the patient care aspect. I liked helping people and being that person really that gets to spend time with the patients. And I, I love nursing, but uh, I think uh, people always, all these nurses were like, oh, go do rugby. There will always be sick people. You can always nurse. So I'm so happy that I'm doing that because I can all, I'll always go back to the hospital and wipe somebody's butt later, you know? I think that that's, my sister is an ER nurse and uh, I think that's what she would tell you as well. Like, it's an amazing job you get to change people's lives every day and also if you can avoid it <laughs> for a little while <laughs> definitely do that because it can take a toll on you especially if you are a caring person because you know you see people go through really challenging moments in their life so okay you it sounds like your aunt was supportive of your uh, athletic path and your father was um did, did you see other people with families that were not as, as supportive of their athletic dreams and sort of like feel grateful that you had people at your back pushing you along all the time? I think honestly, it may have been the opposite that I saw all these parents were like, oh, my kid's going to be the best thing ever. I just want to make my kid play basketball. They're going to play basketball all year round. and They're going to be great at it. But that actually is shown to not be that good to be just a one sport athlete at a young age. Like it can lead to a lot of injuries and whatnot and you're only working your mind in one way so I just saw that and my dad like even though if I'd focused on basketball I could have been one of the best basketball players he was like no I want you to to get better at all these sports and be really multi-faceted and I think that's what really helped me because then when I did decide to go to rugby I had all this knowledge from all these sports because my dad made me not just focus and specialize in one uh that led to something great and then I think uh all these parents would have loved their kids to be Olympians because it's pretty, you're like, you get posts on Facebook. That's what my mom does, that my kid's an Olympian. But I just think some parents were like, if I just specialize, they'll be the best. But it's that's just not how it works. That leads to the next question, of course. How does it work? I'm fully ignorant of the path to the Olympics, I guess I should say. So I wonder, where do you even begin? I, I guess at some point, you know that you want that to be your story. And then what do you do from there? Yeah, I think it's just kind of making that switch or like figuring out in your mind, okay, the Olympics is something I want to do because you really have to start. That's what you have to focus on. Uh, for me, it was going to play in college and then playing high level clubs to be noticed by the USA team. And then once I was noticed, I went out to a camp there and got selected and made the, the, the squad for the USA. And then I just kept making the squad and uh, kept doing well and performing well because I knew the Olympics was something I wanted to do. Um, I know that I just remember throughout my senior year of college, I just, I think visualizing, I don't know if you visualize, but I like, I'll be laying in bed and I just try to visualize the Olympic rings. Cause I heard somewhere that if you visualize it like helps or whatever. So I always visualize those Olympic rings. And um, then I just made it my goal. 
I put nursing to the, I finished my nursing degree, but I put it to the side and then just focused on being the best rugby player I could be. It's so funny that you talk about visualization because I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I think because I'm an anxious person, I sort of catastrophize. And before <laughs> I go to bed at night, I think Caitlin, you're the same way. Uh, you just sort of envision the worst thing that could happen and spiral about it. <laughs> so I think that that's, I may replace my nighttime regimen with what you're doing because it sounds a lot more pleasant. I mean, I'm not going to be envisioning Olympic rings or anything, but uh, I'll envision a, a better life for myself. I guess before I got on Drag Race, I sort of did that. I was up late thinking about, okay, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be part of that group of girls, like the American team of drag queens. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I think that was one of the only times that I sort of visualized something and like thought about it and, and really thought of what it would mean for my life. Besides when I was 16 and I visualized getting a driver's license, which uh, I did, but should not have because I'm a terrible driver. <laughs> so <laughs> you've been through all of this, you've got the attention that you wanted, and you got to participate in 2021 in the Olympics. Can you tell me what it was like? I wrote down here, it must have been like having a dream come true. It was. It was having a dream come true, something that you had been visualizing for so long. It was definitely a dream come true because I think that word Olympian has so much weight behind it. And I, everybody, really, you just want to get to the Olympics, you want to play in your game, and then like, okay, I'm an Olympian. Like that can open up so many doors. Um, but I just did it because I, I love rugby and I love the sport. So the, the driving into the Olympic village was just wild. Cause you're like, this is what I've been dreaming about and hearing about. And so I get into the Olympic village and first we were actually told that we wouldn't, we couldn't do any social media. So we were told you can't post on Instagram. You can't make TikToks in your room. You can't do, do anything like that. And so I was like, what the, what, this is a key time for me to like, help myself, help my brand. But the Olympics were amazing. It was so cool. So cool to be in a village with so many other amazing athletes and just people who are so dedicated to their craft as well. It was so fun, but I was so excited to just play that first match. I think we all were. Cause like you play that first match, you run out on the field, kickoff happens and you're like, I'm an Olympian. All right. It's game time. Let me focus on what I can do. That's so incredible. Okay. I just thought about this. Like when I and this is the only thing I can compare it to when I was on drag race and I was around high level drag queens from all over the country, we were so different, but we were able to exchange so many pieces of advice and bits of inspiration. And I wonder if there was that, that cross pollination for you in the village where you were watching other athletes and picking up tips and ideas from them and, or just even learning from their attitudes. Did, did that happen? I think in a little ways it was maybe stunted a little bit because of COVID. Like we could not talk as much, but whenever I did get the chance to talk or we were stuck in the elevator, I was like, oh, what sports do you play? What team are you from? Um, and it was just so cool to see like, all these different sports, like the amount of work water polo has to put in and they're, they're playing a game every other day and it's so much uh, work, but I would have loved to really just had more conversations with athletes, which is what was kind of, you know, taken from us for COVID. But everyone there is just so focused on the Olympics and what they're doing. So that everyone's kind of like almost tunnel vision while they're in the Olympics for those couple of days. And then afterwards, I guess it's usually a party. 
but uh, we didn't really have that. So you you couldn't talk much, but you could TikTok much, Caitlin. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, as you said, you wanted to build your brand at this amazing moment. And I want to talk about how you started doing TikTok during the, the Olympics. And what was it like watching the amount of views that you got? Because you became, as people say, a sensation with your content. Yeah. So I started doing TikTok really back in February. I did it at a rugby tournament and I was like, oh, people kind of like this content. So even then I was starting to become known as a TikTok rugby girl, uh, which I thought was funny. And I think I went to the Olympics with like 80,000 followers. And then when I was at the Olympics and they said, oh no, you can make TikTok and stuff like that. I was like, this is awesome. Yes. Um, so my first one that I really made in the village was where we tested out the cardboard beds. Cause I, I'm on TikTok constantly seeing where the trends are and the trends were like, oh, people kept talking about these cardboard beds. Yeah. So I was like, here's my idea. I had my teammates. My one thing is like, I wanted to bring my teammates in because it can help me, but I wanted us to get, I want to help my whole team to get viewers and to, to show the world so that they'll tune into our games. Um, and so I said to my teammates, all right, do whatever you can on the bed. We're going to test out these cardboard beds. And at the end, I'll finish with something. And I just remember going to bed. I made that video going to bed. And then I woke up with it having 2 million views. And then I was like, oh, we got to do a part two. And then we got to do all sorts of uh, other ones. And I think what people just really liked about it was the authenticity. I made a lot of videos like thirsting after other Olympians. It's like everybody else is doing it. All right. They're just not saying it. You have uh, hundreds of hot athletes in a village. Everyone else is checking each other out, but they're just not saying it. Right. So, like that. I was, I think, saying it and being upfront about it because we're Olympians, but we also like flirt and we have fun. Yeah, I, I love that that happened this year. And it happened for a number of athletes where we got to, I think, I mean, especially growing up watching the Olympics because uh, it is much loved by my family. You have the sense that they're like demigods and that they only think about their sport and everything else vanishes. You know what I mean? And then you get to realize these are human beings who like flirt and want to have a party, want to have a conversation, want to connect with people, all of that. And I, I think that's so beautiful. No, So now my next request for you is if you overhear an Olympian saying that they've done so much in their life, but they've always wanted to date a drag queen, um, here I am. So just, <laughs> just let me know. <laughs> because I was... Drag queen for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's a person um, that has a, a lot of passion and I love people that have passion. And, you know, uh, an eight pack is not bad either. Okay, so... It's not but bad, yeah. but I have to say, I like them average. Like eight oh. packs, I'm not working with that. I don't, I can't, I don't ever want to do core with you. So I just want average. Average. I like I like a dad bod. I oh do like God. a dad bod, as Caitlin knows. Now, there are so many young women dreaming of becoming athletes and being in the place that you are. And I feel like they need to hear this. If you could go back in time and give advice to your young self as an athlete, um, what advice would you give? Honestly, I did a lot of the things right. And that's because of my family. So I don't know if I would change anything for my athletic for myself, but advice for other women is, as I said, is like, try out many sports and try out many different things because you, you, if you stick to one thing, you're just going to burn out at it. And you know, you just do soccer and all it is, and all you think is soccer. It's a lot. So try out different sports, you know, get your kids into 
do, do track for a little bit, try them out in softball, see what works. And then uh, my other advice is just to not tone it down. I've been told multiple times in my career, like, oh, could you pitch it slower so the girls could hit it? Oh, could you, could you pass it, so, pass it a little like lighter so that we could just catch it? But it's like, I, why, why do I have to tone myself down when you can't, it's not, it's not my problem. It's that you're not able to, to hit it or to catch it, which is something you should be able to do. So don't listen when these people have this idea that these female athletes should be, you know, like, Oh, you know, softer or meeker, like, no, go out there, play hard. And when they tell you to tone it down, uh, pitch it faster, throw it harder. Yeah. I'm like embedded in that statement is the idea that female athletes can't play and that, you know, everyone has to be gentle because everyone's fragile. And I think that that's such a ridiculous thing. If you're making everyone play at 50%, then of course you're not going to have people achieve. I was wondering, you were talking about your father and his beliefs around what uh, athletics can do for women. And I was wondering if you can dive into that a little bit more and what his philosophy was around what it could do um, for you. Well, my dad's a big article guy, a big research guy. So he's always just like, look, the New York Times recently said this. I'm going to read this article. I'm like, all right, if I have time, I'll read the article. But um, he that's also me. (laughs) (laughs) That he loves it. He loves like, you know, peer reviewed stuff. And so when he was having kids and he turned out to have three daughters, he was reading all this stuff of like how, of course, all the sports are. But then he just wanted to make it an effort because he'd seen how some of these other dads treated their daughters like, oh, you, no, you don't have to do that. Oh, oh, just just hit it off the tee. And he just never wanted that for us because if you're just allowed to just be go light in life and not be yourself to make other people feel comfortable that's not truly being who you are and you're not going to, he knew we could be great and he wanted us to really be ourselves in that greatness. And um, I'm so thankful for him because I think it's really, he's a rugby guy and he's one of the reasons I decided to pick up a contact sport as a woman, which we don't have any of, you know, you have all these sports where the men are encouraged to throw punches and the women, you give them a shove and they're like, Oh, yellow card there. So that's what really just gets me. That, that there's such a difference there because we're thought of as almost, you know, fragile and weak. But no, I would rather women's rugby is the same as men's rugby, which I really love about it. So you did mention also that, and I, I just want you to dive into this a little bit more. You mentioned that succeeding in rugby helped you center yourself in your body and kind of alleviate some of your awkwardness. I know that that um, is something that drag did for me. I was a little bit of an awkward person because I'm very naturally loud and I talk a lot. And I was told all through childhood that this was a really bad thing and that um, I was taking up space that other people wanted. And I couldn't help being the way I was, but I felt embarrassed all the time by who I was and doing drag and having permission to be my full loud self it started when i was in drag but then sort of leaked over into the rest of my life where i stopped i cut the habit of being apologetic for being this sort of like huge person inside of this tiny little like five foot five and a half body you know what i mean so i I wonder like what that experience and that journey was like for you i mean right now i'm thinking drag and rugby are very similar because um 
rugby also gave me a place to be myself. Um, not only in personality, but in body. I, uh, a lot of sports, you think of one body type for sports and whereas rugby really celebrates every body type and wants every, every person, small, big, uh, tall. So it just really worked out. And I felt like I found a place, um, I've always been told my personalities a lot and I've, I went through the same thing of like, you want to make, you want to tone yourself down to make it comfortable for others. Cause you're like, Oh, sorry. I'm sorry that I want to express my opinions. I've been told by coaches like, Hey, I don't think you should share your opinion so much. And uh, I was like, what? I, I was sharing it cause they asked for my opinion, but because it didn't align with his opinion, he told me to like not share it. And so I talked to my dad about this and he's like, just sh share your opinion. Like that's, that's what great leaders are. And of course I do listen, but it's just so key for me to find a place where I could really be myself and my personality can flourish. Cause I've realized like, it would be so boring if everyone was just quiet and meek. Yeah. Sometimes I'm probably really freaking annoying. I don't doubt that for some people, but it makes it exciting. You have somebody yeah. to get annoyed at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs somebody to talk about when they leave yeah. the room. You know what I mean? And that could, I'm, I'm okay with that being me. I've had that experience before where I've just like dominated a conversation with all my sound effects and stories. And then I'll be like, you know what? I need to leave the room now for a minute because I've had my moment and everyone needs a chance to tell their stories and also talk about how weird I was just now. Um, and I'm fully okay with that. I'm fully okay with that. I want to put like a button on this, like, and, and focus in on it because I feel like I definitely as a cis man, as a cis boy, when I was young, was told to be quieter and to share my opinions less and to raise my hand less and all of that. But I feel like that is specifically something targeted at women. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. I mean, we've seen a lot of things of like, even when you go listen to interviews of athletes, these questions that they ask them very nonchalant and nothing about the game. And so, oh, look at your outfit you wore today or something like that. Even, even questions, which there are some nice outfits, I will say, but like <laughs> down to the brunt of it, like asking Serena Williams these good questions when it said, it's like, look at your tutu you were wearing, you know, or like not right. the best in the world or whatever. I just think it's a lot for female athletes. Like uh, Sam Kerr recently just did like a, a bump in a soccer game. And it was like, oh, she got a yellow card for it. But this guy, this fan ran out in the field and she bumped him off. And, uh, but she's the one who's getting all the heat for it. But if a man did it, it'd be like, oh my gosh, look at this bump. And you know, when we're women athletes are like do a, a hard play or whatever, like for men in soccer, it's like celebrated. Like, look at this. And then for women, it's like, come on, why did you do that? Here's a, you get a yellow card and it just really grinds my gears that we're not held to the same standard, I think, uh, mm. of being, you know, this physicalness. Cause we can be physical, but you know, I, I watch some sports, these women's sports and I'm like, I know these women just want to go after each other. I want, they want to shove and they want to, you know, hit. And then the men are like, yes, go do it. And in hockey, like take off your gloves, fight somebody. But it's one's like, come on. No, no. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. All right. She needs to have children later or some shit like that. Like, <laughs> you know, so that's what I think my team are really to working to just be ourselves and show how powerful women can be and how strong while also being beautiful. Uh, my hashtag, I'm going to do a little plug. My hashtag is beast beauty brains because like, I feel like I can be a beast on the field and like be really powerful, but also I, like 
I can be beautiful. So it's like defining your own femininity is so key. And yeah, we're, we're changing the, the, the landscape. I don't think that you or anyone objects to being asked about their outfit. I think that it's the idea of being only asked about that yeah. Yeah. or the fact that women are asked about that and men are not. If men were asked about their outfits as well, it would feel less strange. This is, reminds me of a story. I was at a gig and they told me they were going to interview me on the mic before I did my numbers. And I was all ready to talk about, I was like, okay, I have so many interesting things to say. I have so many ideas about drag. I have so many things to say about the current season of Drag Race. I have so many stories to tell about myself. What are they going to ask? And they asked all about my favorite lipsticks and glosses. <laughs> and then they asked about some rumors about people that I had slept with and then cut the interview off. And in the meet and greet after the show, this girl came up to me and was like, you had so much to say and they only asked you about your makeup and men. So now you really know what it's like to be a woman. Yeah. And I was like, my brain exploded. I was like, oh my goodness. That is, I, I feel like I learned such a huge lesson today. <laughs> yeah, and that, that gave me real perspective on, on what that can feel like. So my question for you now, of course, is, What's next? What are you, I know that you visualize now. What are you visualizing for yourself next? Also, you can totally ask me about like makeup and boys. I still love answering those questions. So if we want to talk about it later, we can. Um, Absolutely. Don't, don't think it's off the table. I love talking about that. But <laughs> I think next for me is again, like I'm trying to go for the next Olympics, Paris 2024. The Olympics were very hard for me. We only came in six and it was like, it was a heartbreak that I went through and I'm still not recovered from it. It hurt a lot because you train literally three years for just one thing and hoping to get a medal. And then you don't get a medal medal. And it's just like, did I just put in all this hard work for nothing? And I'm now like, do I want to go another three years to hopefully medal again? But if I don't medal, will I be okay with that? So it's been a very tough time. If you know anyone at sports illustrated swimsuit, please help me get on that issue. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to be in that. I just love that they showcase different bodies. And I'm like, I think I, they have done some sport bodies, but I'm like, put me in there. I don't have a six pack. I don't have, you know, I'm not toned. I, I'm an athlete because there's so many different athletes. So I would love to be in that. That's like, I'm trying to visualize that now. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing the most to get on it. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm like making TikToks, doing Instagram. All right. Any listeners, if you have any way to help make this happen, Let's make it happen. That's our, we're visualizing together as a podcast right now. We're, I'm closing my eyes. I'm seeing it. I see, I see black and white. I see, I see b b like artistic. Um, wait, I wanted to rewind just a little bit. And because obviously I've twice had the same experience that you've had where I wanted the gold. I wanted the crown. I trained for it. I worked for it. It didn't happen. And I think that I gained so much love from people around the world, which I think is something that it parallels what you went through. You may not have got that medal that you want, but you gained love from people around the world. Can you talk about how you, you say you're still going through a process, that heartbreak, and what you tell yourself to 
sort of move yourself through that process? Because I think we talk a lot about like, how does it feel to win? And I don't think we talk enough about how does it feel to have that dream not come true today? Yeah, I think, well, I'm actually going to be doing a TED talk, a TEDx talk in the in next year. And one of the things is that, you know, people, these Olympians who win medals are blasted and it's like, oh, it's amazing. The Olympics are amazing. But that's only 11% pretty much of actual Olympians. There's so many other Olympians who've worked just as hard and who maybe just missed it by a point of a point one of a second or something like that. But it's like, so then it's like all their hard work is just pushed aside. And that's something that I'm trying to like show is that the we're still Olympians and we're still going through this. Like there's that amazing side, but I'm going through this other side that's really not brought up a lot. We're not really showcased the ones who don't win. Cause it's like, Oh, and you know, in America, if you're not winning gold, get out of here. Just kidding. Yeah. But, um, so for me, it's been like, it really has been an outpouring of love. Like all these TikTok people are like, you're okay. Even though you didn't win gold, we love you. And I'm like, okay, I'm crying to myself. Um, I think the, I just try to say to myself, like the good that I did do for the sport, because I, our viewership was up so much and the women's sevens was watched like the numbers that we reached. And I think not to toot my own horn, but partly because of these TikToks, because TikTok is a wild app that can really get out to everybody. And I mean, millions of people were seeing this like, oh, maybe I'll tune into rugby because I kind of know that girl from TikTok. And so by tuning into my games, they then then tuned into the next game after me. And they're like, this is amazing watching New Zealand and Australia and all these teams. So um, now I just kind of tell myself, like, try to remember the good I did do at the Olympics and for the sport. I have like I definitely have needed to talk to somebody because just the the emotional heartbreak and grief. Um, I'm always like, I'm an athlete. I'm strong. I don't need to talk to anybody. I do because uh, yeah. emotional B, I'll tell you that. Um, so I talked to a therapist and I talked to a sports psych guy just to try to work through and like work through how I can be better because of this. And I think one of my things is like to not really break under pressure and to take when I get those like comments on the field or whatever, how can I turn them and use them and, or like flush them so that I continue playing. And I forgot that mental health and self-care were a huge part of the conversation around the Olympics this year and talking about while athletics is hugely important you have to put your mental health first and put yourself as a human being first, which I don't think was part of the conversation before this. I think people were expected to sort of sacrifice their health and well-being and life completely just so that they could meet the expectations of an audience, right? For sure. And that's, um, I think it's always been there. It just hasn't been out in public. Like there's a great documentary on HBO Max called Weight of Gold produced by Michael Phelps and all these other Olympians who are like, there's this thing of post-Olympic depression and post-Olympic blues because of, as I said, you train for something and then, okay, now you're done. All right, go back to, you know, living your life. So it was just cool to see Simone Biles take a stand and see all these mm-hmm. other because I can't imagine the pressure Simone Biles has. Like everyone's like, Oh, Simone Biles is, she's going to win. She has to win the, the pressure you must feel on this individual sport. I, I, I feel so much pressure on just a team sport. It's not even just me out there, but it's just her. So it was really cool to see and like really to enforce that Olympians. Yes, we're Olympians and we're, we are some of the hardest workers and we just, you know, we train all day long. Uh, we are human and we go through so much stuff and we have emotions and we, we feel all these things. And when we don't lose, you know, it, it affects us majorly. It's a good lesson for people to learn for, for anyone in any field like, 
whether they're having your experience where they have a disappointment or they're in Simone's place where so much is expected because they've had a past success. Like when you're out there in the world trying, it's going to be challenging no matter what, whether you grab that success or don't grab it, like you're going to go through a lot and to give yourself permission to do that. I remember when I was a kid, I used to compete in karate and that was my life. And when I, I think I told this story on season 10, but when I grabbed my first gold, I thought it was going to be like everything was going to be fixed because I did it. And the first thing that my dad said when I got in the car, he was like, okay, now you have to do it again to prove that it wasn't a mistake. And I was like, oh my God, this, there's no end of the road for this. So yeah. And then there's in athletics and in creativity, there's always that, what my mom calls the postpartum depression, where you put so much of yourself out in the world. And then once it's done, you have this feeling of emptiness. You're like, okay, wait, what am I pushing for? Now you're on a break. How do you push through that feeling? Just that feeling of not having a goal right now. Or do you just immediately snap into going towards the next goal? I'm one who definitely maybe snaps more into like going towards the next goal. But I think my goal now broader is just to continue to promote rugby and to continue to try to get people into rugby and to continue to promote myself because uh, female athletes don't make a lot of money. And female athletes in rugby do not. So that is it. It's not, I, I don't think it's selfish, but it, like just promote myself because I want to keep doing this, but we don't make like really that much money. So TikTok and all these apps have just been great to like focus on to, and to try to build my brand while also building rugby. And I do focus on the next Olympics, but I try not to, because if I put all of my, my time on those Olympics and like, okay, well in Paris, I'm going to win a medal. If I don't win a medal, I think it would, it will crush me tenfold, like over again. So yeah. I don't try to think about it too much. I just try to think about maybe the next tournament that I'm going to play or perfect. I should say more present is what our sports like guide says, but um, that's not my strong suit. Yeah. Same, same. I'm always like looking way down the road and worrying yep. about things that have, that haven't even come over the horizon yet. So I, I want so much for you. I'm so glad that you gave a glimpse behind the curtain of the Olympics and sort of, as, as you said, giving a face to that experience and, and showing that it's not just the gold medalists there. There's incredible people that have gathered from all over the world and, and devoted so much and giving a, a glimpse into that. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. I hope that we will be seeing you in a magazine soon. I hope so too. Everyone get the word out. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Okay, Cradalina, that was our interview for today. And as usual, it was inspiring and I'm taking many things away from it, including visualizing before bed instead of like browbeating myself before bed. I know, although I always tell myself I'm going to start doing that and it'll last like two nights and then I go back to my spiraling ways. But right. Maybe just takes determination, I guess. <laughs> we need to add that to our list of goals for 2022 oh, good to idea. train ourselves. Okay, wow, you got a lot of big goals for us. Yeah, I, I hope you're writing this we down, Caitlin. Very, you're, you have been really inspired by these podcasts. Yeah, I have been inspired <laughs> yeah. by this podcast. So thank you so much to Alona Mar. But now it's time for a little break.
Okay, we're back. Now, first of all, I want to say this again, Cradleina. If you liked your time with us today and all my random interjections, because <laughs> I am very caffeinated, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews, as everyone knows. I remember yesterday this girl came up to us was like, I'm going to review. I know you love reviews. Wait, really? Yeah. In person? So yeah. you? Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, good. good. Yeah, we're, the message is coming across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we love reviews. So... We're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. That's what we're going to do right now. So, Caitlin, do you have a favorite review this week? Yes, I do. Recommend for any Miss Cracker fan. Caitlin and Cracker have a great dynamic together, and this podcast is no exception. I love listening to comedic things, thoughtful notes on mental health, and stories of empowering women. This show has it all. She's a woman. She's a woman. <laughs> oh, that makes it's me a nice so happy. One, yeah. yeah, and we do. You know what? We do talk about mental health a lot because you and I are crazy people. And I know, and and hearing other people talk about their mental health helps us too. So we oh. like bring it into our in our podcast world because we need that. We need it. Yeah, we were talking about athletics <laughs> with Ilona, and then she brought up. <laughs> Then she brought up mental health struggles. I was like, oh, now we're getting into it. Like, let's yeah. <laughs> let's dive in this direction. So thank you so much for that review. And everybody, all you have to do to get read on this show is, or to get read, <laughs> all you have to do to be part of this show is send in a review and we will read it right here. But now, Caitlin, it's time for us to go to my favorite part of the show. The, the credits. credits. Yep. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it is distributed slash edited by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a woman, and I'll be with you. We'll be with you, really. Yeah, we're both women. We're both women. Yeah. And yeah, it's just imagine us right behind you in the mirror. Yeah, suddenly. see, no, that makes it weird. <laughs> <laughs>